Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Everything I do is prayer, um, so when I'm creating, I'm deeply aware, and I was very aware of this as a child, um, as, as I look back, I don't know what to call this, but I understood transcendence, and I knew this flow that came through me um, as I created things, I couldn't account for um, experientially on, on my own so so I, I knew it wasn't mine it was a gift that um, came through me and everything I do my my life as a form of expression is, is an artwork of God you're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick Welcome to the program. You're listening to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick. Today on the program and into the next episode, I'm speaking with Mako Fujimura, visual artist, author, thought leader, and cultural shaper, who was recently appointed director of the Brem Center at Fuller Seminary. Mako's paintings have been exhibited around the world, and he's one of the first artists to paint live on stage at New York City's legendary Carnegie Hall. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that I could spend the next 10 minutes reading you Mako's credentials and accomplishments that are nothing if not impressive. However, to understand the man, his art, and his calling, I would want to tell you a story that I read in his book Culture Care, which is soon to be re-released by InterVarsity Press. Mako tells the story of he and his wife as young newlyweds, she in grad school, and he teaching special education by day and painting at night just to make ends meet. With the tight budget of graduate students, they often had to ration food just to get through the week. One evening, Mako was sitting alone in their apartment, waiting for his wife to come home, the whole time worrying that there was no food in the refrigerator, no money in the bank, and he didn't know how they were going to pay the rent. When his wife finally arrived home, she held a bouquet of flowers in her arms. Mako became frustrated, saying, How could you think of buying flowers if we can't even eat? Her simple reply was, We need to feed our souls, too. Fujimura has written that those words have been etched in his heart for over 30 years. And in many ways, it's from the idea that we need to feed our souls too, that Mako has given himself to creating beauty through his own painting, and as a speaker and author and advocate of the arts, helping others to create beauty, even non-artists creating beauty, through what he calls generativity and culture care. Finally, Mako is the author of three books, which you'll want to dive into. They are a treasure chest of wisdom and grace, Culture Care, Refractions, and his new book, Silence and Beauty, which we discussed throughout the interview. 
So without any further delay, let's listen to my conversation with Mako Fujimura on Restoring the Soul. Mako, welcome to our program. Thanks for making time to speak with me today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Your work is a Japanese art form that I understand goes back to medieval times. Can you explain what it is and how you chose that particular art form? Yeah, Nihonga. Nihonga is a Japanese-style paintings that lineage goes back to 15th century, uh, but you can trace it even back to as far as 8th century. But um, distinct Japanese way of painting and um, that flowed out of China and Korea Um, but at the same time the Japanese culture has refined many of these elements um, and um, has starting in I would say 15th century began to really identify unique aspects of of the uh, expression using natural minerals, uh, gold and silver and and uh, done on silk or paper. Um, this is what I went to Japan to study uh, as a graduate student. Um, and I began to really understand the fantastic refinement and integration that Japanese culture had offered as, as early as 16th century. And uh, so that... Uh, that journey continues. Uh, I'm trying to apply the principles of aesthetics in uh, 17th, 16th century Japan into 21st century. Today, your paintings can be seen in galleries around the world and even in some public spaces. When did you first know that you actually wanted to be an artist? I was always an artist and um, saw myself as an artist, but I, I didn't really know what that meant. Uh, I, I would say until maybe late in high school, in college, when I really began to determine what was most important to me and what, what I couldn't throw out of my life. Um, I was very fortunate to have parents. My father is a research scientist, a renowned acoustics pioneer. Um, I understand he worked with Noam Chomsky. Yes, he. I was born in Boston because uh, he was doing his postdoc doctorate with Noam Chomsky on grammar, uh, generative grammar. So um, I grew up in that environment of scientists and, and artists. Um, he, my my father, and my both of my parents loved the arts. And my mother's side, there was a very significant um, um, artist in in her family, and she would tell me about them and um so i i was really encouraged uh, to pursue the arts i i didn't know what that meant i didn't know if i could make a living at it i i you know i had no idea what um what the future held but uh, i knew i knew there was something important uh, inside of me that um i had to cultivate and in your book river grace you talk about coming to faith yes. and art and beauty played a big role in that yeah. i love the phrase you use where i think you said something like you were deeply immersed in beauty and transcendence through art but your heart didn't have a shelf yeah. to place that beauty yeah. will you say something more about that yeah i use that quote in my new book silence and beauty because it's, it predicates everything that i say 
about Japanese culture and Endo and uh, what the book is about, um, uh, Japanese culture and silence and beauty. And um, my understanding of art, and I, of course I went to school in the 80s and 90s, which meant that beauty was out of the conversation. Um, you know, there was just the other day a New York Times um, feature about Chuck Close, uh, one of the most important artists of our time. And he was saying, you know, today if you speak about craftsmanship, you know, and along with that, I would say beauty, you know, you, you, you feel like the, you're uttering a dirty word. And, and that's, that was very much the philosophical backdrop to contemporary art um, starting in 80s and 90s. So beauty was very much out and, and I had no place to put that despite the fact that I had this enormous capacity to create beauty. My own hands were making things that I had no uh, um, way to justify in in my philosophical uh, system. And so that was really an important part of my journey, my journey toward faith and um, understanding that I, I really needed a new paradigm if I were to understand who I was and my uh, desire to, and my response to what I saw in uh, Japanese art, 17th century art, that is enormously beautiful and um, somewhat decorative in, in some cases, but um, the, that was the uh, beginning of my journey. Um, I, I part of the important steps in, in uh, recovery of my faith. And obviously, your your faith, which is a, a very central part of your life and your art, although in the art it's not visibly expressed, like some Christians might think, you know, we're a John three sixteen verse or something right, on there. Yeah. But you really. Mm-hmm integrate your faith into the books that you write. Um, how did you go from being a visual artist to writing books? Right, well, everything I do is prayer. Um, so when I'm creating, I'm deeply aware, and I was very aware of this as a child. Um, I, as I look back, I don't know what to call this, but I understood transcendence, and I knew this flow um, that came through me um, as I created things, whether whether it be painting or writing or whatever I was doing, that I couldn't account for uh, experientially on, on my own. So so I, I knew it wasn't mine. It was a gift that um, came through me. And to me, everything I do, my my life as a form of expression is is an artwork of God um, reshaping and sometimes <laughs> hammering away um, you know the unnecessary things but um, the the chisel is um, is is something that i I have began to desire in my life and so so that um Writing flows out of my um, work as a uh, work as an artist, and um, when I am painting, I am 
tapped into this zone of experience that I treasure and everything that I do, whether it be writing or speaking, or um, <clears throat> flows out of that experience. The thing that I've enjoyed so much about your books, uh, your new book, Silence and Beauty, which I want to talk about in a moment, your book, Culture Care, and particularly drawn to the essays in Refractions, is that uh, it's one thing to see a person's artwork, but then to read what almost feels like exposition or commentary on your inner journey of creating, and then everything that comes out of your art as well. So your new book is called Silence and Beauty, Hidden Faith, Born of Suffering, and it's a, uh, a deep reflection on Shusaku Endo's book, Silence. And at the beginning of your book, Silence and Beauty, you pretty much say to the reader, if you haven't read Silence, <laughs> uh, put this book down now and read it. And you even include a summary at yes, the end of your yes, book for I someone did. who doesn't want to read. But I read Silence, and the book just undid me. Mm-hmm. It, it is absolutely profound. Mm-hmm. What drew you to Silence, and how has Endo impacted you? So when I started to write this book, I was um, asked by a friend of mine who, who became my agent, uh, but he's the associate producer of the film, Silence, that Martin Scorsese is putting together, and he came to me. I got to know him through my Washington days as a National Council and the Arts member, and and <clears throat> so he, he was in politics, uh, and now he's trying to help culture. And he said, there's only one person who can write this book, and that's you. And I, I turned him down twice and uh, because I didn't want to revisit some of the um, traumas and painful um, journeys that, that, that I've been on actually with Endo. And I felt like this would be too much. And... Um, and so he kept on insisting, so I finally said yes. And as soon as I started to write, I realized that, uh, um, you know, you're unwinding this gold, golden thread uh, that William Blake talked about. You know, there's, there's this just, just a sense of unraveling uh, the mystery of your life. And, you know, it, it became very clear to me that the reason why I found myself in Christ as a graduate student in Japan, of all places, um, going to temples and museums every day, and then encountering Fumie, uh, stepping blocks of 17th century persecution. Uh, These were bronze images of Christ or Virgin Mary cast into bronze plates and... uh, Villagers were asked to line by the, line up by the beach and step on these images to renounce um, Christ, and many were tortured because they could not. and um, And so I encountered Fumier of 17th century while studying these gorgeous, beautiful paintings of 17th century limpa screens in museums, and they were side by side exhibited, exhibited, and um, and then. Of course, I read in, in the description to Fumier that Endo, Shusaku Endo, has written uh, a novel so, about so you, silence. you saw the Fumiers as works of art prior to reading the book Yeah, silence. well, I didn't even know what to call it. It was such a profound experience. Um, there were 19 plates at Tokyo National Museum lined up, and um, 
and they were worn smooth. So many people had walked over them, 250 years of very aggressive persecution against Christians, Christians only. I didn't know much about this history. I knew I've heard about the persecution era, but it, it was not visceral until that moment. And then the exhibit connected and those books silence. And I had read silence um, as a undergrad. Um, I remember reading Endo. He was a new author, new Japanese author then, relatively new in America. But um, I remember reading him and not really getting to the depth of it because I, I, I had no faith perspective then. You know, I was just beginning my journey. And now looking at Fumi, being, being really haunted by them and going back to Endo and, and rereading Silence both in Japanese and in English. And then it was a very traumatic experience for me because I, I was a brand new baptized believer and in Japan you know, knowing that I had become a Christian in this land and all of a sudden this history uh, of persecution has opened up to me and um, and the pain and torture and suffering that went into that uh, the time and what Endo describes so well is, is, is a remarkable uh, testimony of the past and it was it was not only haunting it was it was it was i i was <laughs> say it was traumatic and so i understand that when people don't read to the end of the book you know i i really understand that um um reality uh, because it is it is hard it is a hard book to finish and yet um as i note in the book um Endo has set this up. So if you actually read to the end, end meaning the appendix, <laughs> there are certain uh, nuggets of truth, uh, which turns out to be historical truth that is very, very much encouraging. And is it the case that some versions of Endo's silence don't have the appendix in it? No, it's, um, it's not that it's not in there. It's just that it's, it's segmented. Uh, William Johnson, when he translated it, he put the word appendix in between the last part and um, the the end of the narrative. And in Japanese, there's no word separating the two. So that's an important thing to consider. Uh, there's several things about William Johnson's translation, which is very good translation, but there there's just several things that I would do different. So as you wrote Silence and Beauty... Uh, your most recent book, it's this very deep reflection on Endo, but it's also your own journey as well. What what, what would you hope for the reader to gain through this interaction of your journey and Endo's novel? Yeah, so when people read the manuscript um, of, my, of my book, they, they, they said, you know, what is this book about? I, I You know, it's, it seems to be about Endo, but it's not. And, well, it is, but it's it's more than that. And and so I, I began to think of it as an autobiographical journey, spiritual journey, um, that happens to have Endo a significant part. And without Endo, I don't think I would have uncovered many of the things that I would have um, I uncovered while writing the book that I, you know, I, I wouldn't have seen it, um, even my even the personal narratives. Um, Endo's book works like this. It it kind of triggers through certain tra- traumatic experience 
something about you that you have deeply, um, you know, put put aside. Um, and and so it, it is it is a um, spiritual memoir, but but it's it's also uh, about Japan. Um, it's about missions. It's it's about um, recalibrating or reforming how we view missions, what the Christians call the Great Commission um, of fulfilling Christ's um, mandate to, you know, preach the gospel and, and baptize um, all nations. And that I, I discovered while I was writing this book so much about my hope and prayer for Japanese culture uh, kind of inverted into this thought that, um, well, Japan is the most integrated um, culture in terms of nature and culture, you know, what I call culture care. It happens in Japanese culture all the time. And the value of beauty, the value of silence, um, maybe something that unlocks the ultimately the mystery of the gospel um, rather than here we are being frustrated that you know Japanese do not receive the gospel as as, as Western churches would would bring them, you know, and this is an important criticism that Endo makes in throughout his career, but particularly in silence, that Western Christianity, the Christianity of imperialism, and um, you know bringing Western uh, culture with the Christian message has really made things difficult for Japanese to embrace the gospel. And that's bad for the Japanese, but that's also bad for us because that means we don't fully understand the gospel uh, in, in its fullest sense. Say more about that. How, how don't we fully yeah, understand so, it? So, you know, people think the gospel quote-unquote, is a set of information that we need to preach, we need to let people know, and, and that's certainly part of it. But when you, when you think about what the gospel is, the good news, um, it's much more than that. It is it's a whole narrative of the chosen people, you know, uh, starting from creation, being exiled and uh, in, 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 in trans- transgressing against, uh, you know, um, important um, order of uh, being that we were asked to uh, uphold and we didn't. So our journey of exile and and then um, the coming of Christ um, to fulfill uh, the exodus journey into something of a, um, you know, not only redemptive um, story, but, but it's also a new creation story. Um, in Christ we are made new. And that whole narrative, the arc of the whole narrative, has has not been what we hear when we go to churches or you know evangelistic meetings. Um, we seem to trans- truncate that. Um, and sometimes for necessary reasons of letting people know about this historical reality. But what it assumes is that we fully know and understand this life of God or uh, the gospel message. And 
that's a, that's a really really dangerous assumption because as we know as as journey into Christ spiritually the more you know the less we know <laughs> the more we seem to get to the heart of it things the more mysterious it becomes and more you are basically uh, confessing of um, not only your own failures uh, to do the things that you know you ought to have done, but do the things that that are left undone, and and also the reality of God, uh, who remains invisible, um, a mystery, uh, and and yet so profoundly um, together in this unified oneness of um, that holds everything together, and and Christ. Uh, as the creator, you know, Colossians' passage about Christ being the creator. Uh, it, all of that is, is is not something that we can grasp in a, in a you know, simple sentence or even a series of lectures. Um, it is a life uh, force and a life, a way of life that has to be lived through. And many times God calls us to traumatic realities, dark realities, to really begin to understand how we don't understand and we fail short. Um, and yet this is what happens in the book Silence. I, I think it's, it's, it's a profound book about meditation of darkness. Um, so I, I call it the uh, Holy Saturday book. You know, there's Good Friday, there's Easter Sunday, but there's that middle um, Saturday that we don't talk about and so many authors Catholic writers uh, tend to dwell there uh, as well as people like T.S. Eliot but. and the darkness that you're referring to in silence is not simply the horrific physical persecution and torture that you see but it's the darkness of one's own failure and the darkness of one's own unfaithfulness so that for these 16th and 17th century Portuguese missionaries, their whole goal became to not fail. And then when they were persecuted and they failed, then it was seen as a failure. And you actually write in Silence and Beauty, if I can just read this quote, we have a tendency to extol heroes of faith. Our textbooks and our sermons are filled with the heroic. In doing so, we fall into a false dichotomy of seeing faith only in terms of victory and failure, which leads us to dismiss and discard the weak. Endo stands with those sitting in the pews who feel inadequate and uncertain, who doubt whether they can be strong, heroic, and faith-filled. So it's this idea that that's what the gospel is for, but we so easily miss the point. How do the arts, which you're deeply involved in, how do the arts help us to not miss the point. Yeah, and this is one of the discoveries I made while writing this book, that the arts are fundamentally about that, the journey of brokenness and realizing an honest, authentic um, experience. You know, we, we fall short all the time. And, you know, we market things as this triumphant um, way of success, you know, American success, perhaps, um, and those are easy to easier to market because you 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 can you know reduce the message into a, a very much a package, and and the rest of us who you know fall by the sideways and we we don't um, 
we don't quite live up to that expectation of perfection and uh, material success and um, even even beauty, um, being able to capture or express beauty. You know, we we're in in this constant mode of um, depression because we the world and this culture in particular um, has certain expectations that we can't meet. And for those of us, you know that that story. Um, uh, now this is this is what artists, um, true artists, instinctively are drawn to. Um, like Endo, they they would much rather hear the story of the homeless or the immigrants or you know people who do not have a voice, um, and they consider these things very deeply and um, have a way of capturing that through words or um, by by writing about them, by uh, painting, by creating, you know, movies out of them. And so it, it, it actually brings empathy into uh, visceral, um, incarnational reality. And this is what art can do that perhaps very few mediums can attain. You've been listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. Learn more about how we cultivate freedom and wholeness of heart at RestoringTheSoul.com.